this morning we're moving into part three of our series that we're doing on following Jesus. It is a phrase that Jesus uses repeatedly in the Gospels that I think in a lot of ways defines what it means to be a Christian, to have the Christian faith or to be religious in the Christian sense. It all really centers on those two words. And what I'd like to do in the course of this series is help you understand what that means as, as we live it out because this is something that God has called us to not necessarily only believe but to believe and trust on the, on the way, on the journey. Uh, so with that said, if you look at the graphic, you'll see in the sharpest or darkest uh, kind of relief there, the image of Jesus and then the succession of people from all walks of life who are who are following him, some for a while, some just beginning, and everything in between. And what happens to people when they follow Jesus is the substance of who he is begins to show up in, 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 in their lives and our lives as well. And what I hope is that in the process, we not only understand that, but we engage with him even more. So with that said, um, we're going to be just focusing on something that seem to be pretty important in the Gospels, and that is the message of the kingdom, based on one who is our king, and trying to tell people who are not used to living under a king what a king is like isn't always easy. Uh, for the most part, people in the throughout all of time have had a king that they would refer to, the person who was responsible for governing them, for protecting them, having authority over them, perhaps even attending to the economic well-being of everything. And we just have presidents and Congress and not really the imagery that you think of in the times past, but rather we have people that we've elected to office to represent us, and it's a concept that doesn't really fit very well. But I want to try to take us back there so that we can grasp it, because the fact of the matter is, whether you're Republican or Democrat or whether you uh, are uh, uh, an American citizen or not, regardless, the idea of Jesus as our king has carried on through time and will continue to carry on. So with that said, I, I just want to kick it off with a definition of what it is that goes to make up the substance of our king. And uh, maybe you've heard this sermon uh, by Shadrach, Meshach, Lachman before, but I want to I show you part of it and we'll go on from, from that. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduring strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon 
man of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's a centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. I know that was kind of abrupt, but we're going to stop right there, and in the end, we're going to pick up where he left off. But for now, if a lot of people who come to church try to wrap their minds around what it means to be a follower of Jesus or a Christian, some people have oftentimes thought about doctrines and beliefs and how this church is different from that church and really get caught up in so many things that are secondary to the most important thing, and that is we are a religion if you want to use that word, about a person. And God is trying to underscore that whole idea whenever he sends his son into our world so that he can disclose to everyone what he's like, what his heart is like, and what he expects from us when we follow him in that form. When Jesus came to be a part of this experience, he did so not in a way that was dramatic, but in a way that was just kind of subtle. It was, it was so subtle that people almost missed it. However, there were some who said, I've been seeking a king like this ever since I've been born because all of the kings that I've seen up to now have been nothing but tyrants and despots and people that are just out to take my money. But I know in my heart of hearts there has to be somebody who can, who can reign over us that has our best interest in mind because originally a king was designed to have the best interest of his people in mind and throughout history culture after culture and place after place have had kings who have been established to be the ones who represented everything that they believed, but also acted in such a way that was in the best interest of the people that the king ruled over. And if you were to look at like an organization chart, it would be, uh, that would pick your culture, and they would have a, a, a deity, or they would have a, a god that they would worship. And then almost always people who study these things say, in the, right after that is a king and a, and a queen. And the king especially would represent or embody everything that that God that they worshipped was about. Those characteristics. There should be, uh, just you should be able to, to distinguish that the two are very much aligned in how they think and how they act and what they want. And so the king really was a representation of everything that the God that they worshipped in whatever pagan or whatever culture he was, he was to act that out in a way that when people saw the king, they thought about the deity. And the king, whenever he looked at all of his subjects, he would say, when you look up to me, I am sort of a, uh, I, I'm a representation of the, of the God that we worship, and you should expect from me these things. And a lot of times, when the king didn't measure up, the people would retaliate against the king because, for whatever reason, he wasn't underscoring their beliefs. And as the king represented on that level, that, that, that point between heaven and earth, 
people said this is necessary for how we live life here on earth and culture after culture people after people have always had a king so much so that when Israel went through a period of time where there was no king they demanded that a king be 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 uh, be be, be crowned in, in, in their collection of tribes as they established themselves because everybody else had a king. We want one. And so they got a king and his name was Saul and he did a pretty poor job and eventually he, he, he um, undid himself because he was a man of weak character. Then God said, I'm going to establish a king. He's going to be a different kind of king. And the characteristics of this king will be a signpost to who I am. And that king was David. And David was from the line of people that uh, filtered through the tribe of Judah. And therefore, David was, in a sense, the king of the Jews. As David began to build his kingdom empire... Uh, God's favor was upon him. People knew that and they turned their hearts towards God so much so that they wanted to build a temple in the middle of everything that represented their existence right there in Jerusalem. And God told David that you're not going to build the temple. However, your son will establish that temple and it'll be a place where I will be represented. And David was then told that you will have a son who will reign on your throne forever. In 2 Samuel 7, we read those words. And it is a promise that through time and history and pretty desperate circumstances, eventually, against all odds, found its fulfillment one day in a man named Jesus. And when Jesus, who was from the same bloodline as David himself and Solomon, showed up, it wasn't like people were used to. But it was, in a way, identified with the biblical story so much that people were starting to connect the dots. Do you remember whenever the flood happened? And at the end of the flood, after the earth is destroyed, except for Noah and his family... How did they know that it was a new day? Anybody recall? What showed up? A dove. A dove showed up and said, this is a symbol of a new day. A symbol of peace. A symbol of hope. A symbol that there will be a future that we can be confident as we go forward in. It was a symbol of safety that God would protect and he would never flood the, the earth again. And so the dove was highly symbolic in the imagination of God's people for a very long time. And when Jesus came to represent the kingdom that was about to be established, some things had to be in order. And if you look at the book of John, you find that John just sort of opens it up with some significant things that are just um, indicators that God is resetting things just like he did in the days of Noah. And if you pick up in John chapter 1, verses 32 and following, we read these words. And John the Baptist bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
He on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. That anointing spirit like kings had. And remain. This is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And as John the gospel writer is telling this about John the Baptist. He makes it clear that this king begins this new day. With the same symbolism that goes all the way back in the story. To the time that the ark settled on the mount. And not only that, as John is out there, let me show you a map real quickly of what, what this means. I, I know you love maps. You guys just keep telling me, more maps, more maps. Not really, but I'm just going to tell you what's going on here. If you look at that, that's the Holy Land, and it's pretty much been the, the setting for most of the biblical stories. And on once, at the top of it is the, is, the, is the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus spent most of his time. And then there's a river that runs all the way down to a larger body of water, the lowest body of water on the planet called the Dead Sea. And it doesn't go anywhere, it just evaporates. And that Jordan River is so critical for the minds of the people who are looking for this king because they knew the king had to somehow be a part of the story that was so sacred for them. The Bible that they had carried with them all over the, all over the place and defined who they were as a people. And it said that when the people crossed the Red Sea and they, and, and they, they, they began to launch uh, the, 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 um, the, the staging area for the promised land. It wasn't until they crossed the Jordan River that they actually made it into the land that was flowing with milk and honey. And what John the Baptist was doing, this is important, he, he was called to go out into the desert to the, to the eastern side of the Jordan River. The same staging area that God's people were in whenever Moses uh, was supposed to lead them across but couldn't, so Joshua and Caleb did. The same staging area that began the whole thing. So John's out there on the east side of the Jordan River and he's baptizing people, purifying them from their sins, getting them ready so that when the king comes, everybody's heart will be predisposed to receiving him. And there are a lot of people who said, we're following John there. We're not sure what God's up to, but it is something dramatic. And even John said, I'm not fully clear on the plan, but I'm just doing as I'm told. And then Jesus shows up. And he's baptized in the Jordan River, going from the east side to the west side. And when that happens, that's when the Spirit descends on him as an anointing presence for the king and symbolically represented in the form of a dove. It's a new day. And people who were paying attention were starting to tune into the fact that maybe, just maybe, hoping against hope, there will be a king who will arrive that will not be here to exploit us, but will rather be here for the well-being of God's people. And that's really what Jesus wanted to do was to deliver us from so many forces that were keeping us captive and then bring us to a place where we were realigned in our hearts with God. It's a pretty tall order. How do you do that? How do you as a king enter into the lives of the people as somewhat of a stranger and begin to show the authority of the God that sent you? And for Jesus, it was to begin to align with elements of the story that they were familiar with. 
As he did that and as people went out to the east side of the Jordan were baptized and came back across, he did likewise. And as he begins to walk back towards the Sea of Galilee up north, this is what John writes. We need to pay attention to it. He said the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him. And they said this, heard him say this, and they just said, that's our cue. And they started following. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, I just want to just hit the pause button right here. Because this is the first time that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John. And if I can just tell you how the Gospel of John is written, if you've ever written a research paper or something, and you did a draft, and then you did, a, then you did a, 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 an upgrade, and an upgrade, and an upgrade, the Apostle John is so, or the, the book of John is so polished that way, it is so rich, and every word is intentionally in place the way it is to communicate a lot of meaning. John didn't waste any space here. So the things that we see, people have, have surmised who've studied this carefully, you've got to pay careful attention to all of it. And the first thing that he asks is what? What does he ask? What are you seeking? And I think that question is the question of the day every time you meet somebody who's lost and is looking for a king. What are you seeking? Because Jesus kind of wanted to know what was driving them. What's motivating you? And if you're going to be king and you're thinking, I'm going to make a grand appearance, I don't know that just showing up and asking some, doing some Q&A is the best strategy. However, Jesus has a very long game in mind here, and I think his strategy is this. I want people to trust me as their king, not because I'm imposing upon them some new decree, but the loyalty that I'm trying to, I'm trying to receive from them has to come from the inside out, if it's going to last. It has to be something that has percolated in your heart in such a way that when you've decided to swear allegiance to this king, you've made up your mind. And you're not at the place where you're second-guessing it anymore. And Jesus said, that's the kind of loyalty that I'm trying to cultivate here. But I'm not trying to force it. I'm just going to begin with a question. What are you seeking? And I want to just carry that question right into this moment and ask you, if you were to come face to face with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you were to just survey everything that's going on in your life right now, every challenge, every hurt, everything that is confusing you, everything that is creating fear and worry, the sense that if I die, where do I go? All of that. Is there a king who can sufficiently answer every one of those questions? 
Because I think what you're looking for is what we're all looking for. How can that king be king of that? How can he be lord of that? Because most kings are pretty limited in what they can and can't do. So Jesus said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That's not really the... You know, it's like Confucius showing up and saying, I can answer all the questions of the universe. And they're like, where are you staying? (laughs) It had to take him back, at least it does me when I read it. But you know what it tells me even deeper? Because I think John's intentional and I think I'm not abusing what I'm reading here. I think it's their way of saying, we're open. We're open to hearing what you have to say. Because we are seeking. And we haven't found it yet. But everything that has been reenacted up to this point is giving us a sense that God is doing something because he's even stirring up stuff in our hearts. See, it's kind of a two-way thing. God brings the king into your world, but at the same time, he's been working in the background of your life, stirring your heart up so that when the king comes, he says, follow me. You might just say, okay. Well, John goes on to uh, say, um, uh, or rather, Jesus goes on to say, Come and you'll see. And so he actually declines their invitation because I think they were saying, you can stay with us. He's saying, come on with me. And so they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. See, I kind of think that's how this king works. It's sort of like if you invite him in, he'll be like, that is awesome. I've even got, I can, I can one better you. Not that I'm trying to one up you, but I just want to bless you that much more. But you sort of have to take that step towards him because he's not going to force himself on you as king. You say, I, Lord, I'm coming close. And Lord's like, oh, I'm so glad because I don't want to force you to come close. But if you come close, I will come close. And you can just see that pattern over and over in scripture when you find Jesus in the gospels. And then, as it plays out even into our lives. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, as Jesus' brother said. And so they came and he stayed with them and it was about the 10th hour. Moving on, one of the two who heard Jesus speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon's brother, Simon Peter's brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. See, there's two words in there, found and found, that John uses because really what he's trying to sort of get at, sort of the, the, the un, one of the underlying themes here is people are seeking and what they're seeking can be found. And people are reading this and they're saying seeking and finding and following. It all seems to go together in this equation when it comes to this king. And so they said we found the Messiah which for us is something we've heard that word maybe a lot or maybe never, but for them, that's a big deal. It means the anointed one. The one who in the history of our people was always given to be king as he was anointed. And so they they said, we found him. And John goes on to write, he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, You're Simon, the son of John. 
You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, some of you may be confused about all the name changes going on here. It's kind of, names are kind of interesting. Are you Simon or are you Cephas or are you Peter? A lot of it has to do with the fact that this is a mixture of people in the north who are sort of intermarried with other nationalities and so forth. And so one's kind of Greek and one's Hebrew and one's kind of Samaritan. And either way you look at it, Peter is the same person. Names are kind of funny like that. In the Bible, the name is a special designation that God gives you when he says there's something about who you are in the name that I've given you that represents characteristics. Now, in our lives, we don't know much about that, but in the book of Revelation, it actually does say that we will be given a new name. I don't know what that's going to be. I was just told by a little girl, she came up to me and she said, I've got a cat. And I'm like, you're excited about this, aren't you? And then she said, guess what I named my cat? I don't know, Leonard. And I'm like, that's awesome. I've never had a cat as, you know, the namesake for a cat. So it's, you know, cat, you know me and cats. That's going to be a good one. That cat is going to do well in life. And I, I did say, though, um, that my name actually, I used to hate it because, you know, Leonard, really. My sister named me. I've always been resentful. So one day I looked it up and I'm like, what does Leonard mean, really? And it means Lionheart. I'm like, okay, I can make my peace with that. Uh, and, and it is interesting how names kind of define you. So when I don't feel courage sometimes, I'm like, I, I got to live up to that feature of my name or else, you know, people are going to call me out. And Jesus starts to do that. I was also thinking about Rachel. You, you tend to name people names. You got a name for everybody. If you ever get into Rachel's orbit, watch out. She's got a name for you. You don't have a name for me, do you? But somehow my name is in the mix because you're cat. Yes. Yeah. Sammy said, I have to have this cat because I'm naming Leonard, my favorite creature of all. Oh, uh, that's... Creatures that you had, Sammy, it's this one. You know, that's the nice thing about being the only one. You're the best and the worst. <laughs> so, uh, all this stuff John will later on unpack as to the value of, of, of why he said what he did. And at the end of John, you'll find out. Uh, it's, it's actually significant because John has so tightly weaved this together. But he does say this, just two words. Follow me. And our faith is really not about just, um, you know, and I think of Islam and just separate that from all the news that you hear. But there, there, there are five practices that you do in Islam and that basically certifies you as legitimate. But with Christianity, sure, there are practices that we do. We, we worship, sometimes we pray, we read the word, we fast, we serve other people, not unlike Islam. But even more than that, we center what we have on a personal, ongoing, daily relationship with Jesus. 
we get up in the morning and hopefully we invite him into our lives, into our hearts, into our world, into our day. We go through the day and the things that we go through, we're just talking to him and praying to him and, and communing with him and just asking him, God, help me here. Lord Jesus, lead me in the way that I need to go. And if you're not doing that, maybe God is saying to you today, why don't you start? Why don't you start trusting me with every part of your day? And maybe you're just kind of getting your sea legs on this whole thing. And one of the reasons why people saw Jesus and they recognized what was going on is because they had spent time hearing and perhaps reading the word. And I think if you just spend five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night reading the word, you'll be surprised at how much... Jesus uses that as a pathway into your life, a pathway of influence into your life. Just, just five minutes. And hopefully it'll grow, but if not, that's okay. Just spend about five minutes a day in the morning in the Word, kind of sets the tone. Close it down with another five minutes. And that gives you a, a peace that passes all understanding sometimes. Jesus just simply says... Follow me. And their hearts were ready because they were seeking. And they were in tune enough to recognize that he was the real deal. For the rest of us who don't come from a biblical tradition as much, perhaps, maybe you do, it's harder to see him. And Paul even writes about how difficult it is for us to see him when he says that those outside of this way of understanding, their minds have been darkened by the God of this age. Meaning that he's tricked us and seduced us and perhaps propagandized us with all forms of communication, media, information, stories, Overwhelming us, distractions, so that there's so much noise, we can't really see the signal that he's giving us. And yet, these guys, they heard the noise, and they just said, we're at a place now where the only thing we're really interested in is hearing the voice of Jesus. And when he said, follow me, this is what John said. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael being skeptical about this whole thing, especially the fact that he's from Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Meaning that they're not known for producing attractive people that we would want to follow. And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, um, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. I've often wondered what he saw. But whatever it was, 
Nathaniel knew that this king had the ability to see into his heart. And so there was an immediate acknowledgement. Yeah, you, your perception is a lot sharper than I, I realized. You know, John takes this whole idea of somebody showing up in Jesus' world, kind of questioning him, even going so far as saying, you're sketchy. And that's in John 4. Jesus meets a woman at the well who's an Israelite. She's a Samaritan. And as a Samaritan, we're better than you are. And so Jesus, you're kind of sketchy. I should stay away from you. And Jesus said, go call your husband. What do you mean? Well, the fact of the matter is, you've had more than one. What do you mean? You know me. And he just completely disarmed her when he said, you need some water. Only you need the water that will sustain your soul. And I'm the source of that water. And you know what she said? Well, the scripture says she went and told all the people in her community, I met a guy who told me everything I knew. He saw me in a place where I thought nobody saw me, and yet he loved me. I want you to know something about Jesus at the ground level. He knows everything about everyone in here. And he still loves you. Because he's that kind of a king. And I want you to understand that the love that he has for you is stronger than any shame that you have for yourself or the accuser wants to direct at you. The love that he has for you is greater than the lostness and the confusion of the headspace that you may be in right now. The love that he has for you looks at that thing that you are seeking and says, I can, I can help you. I can provide something that will in a lasting way be satisfying. I'm that kind of a king. And Nathaniel knew it just immediately. And the Samaritan woman, wasn't, that wasn't her story. They had a different idea about how this whole thing was going to unfold. They even had a different version of the Bible. And this whole thing played out in a way that wasn't according to their thinking. See, in their mind, the Jews were, well, they, the Samaritans really had the whole story locked down in the way that God was going to move and the temple wasn't going to be here. It was going to be over there. Long story short, Jesus is like, don't care. All I care about is you. And you will discover that as your king, I can meet the deepest needs of your life. When the dove descended and the people realized a form of safety and protection in light of all of those elements that destroyed everyone. When the dove realized the people saw a sense of provision that came from a source beyond their own capacities. When the dove showed up, the people saw a hope of the possibility of a new future. When the dove showed up, they looked and they said, the future is in the hands of the God 
who led us through this. We can trust him. And when Jesus showed up, he essentially said all the same things. I'll be a shield around you, like the psalmist says in the opening psalms. I will be a source for you when you need living water and the bread of life. I will be the one who will offer hope when you see me on that cross and you think it is done because the Father said, that's just the first step. I will be the one who gives you a vision for a future where one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when that day comes, the rights will be righted and the wrongs will be justly dealt with. And everything that is broken will find itself completely and totally restored. I am that kind of a king. And some people, as they heard those two words, follow me we're having the comprehension of the full weight of significance of Jesus just begin to settle in their hearts and they knew that he was the real deal I'm going to end this sermon with the rest of the the message that you heard at the beginning. And my question as you're listening to it, and when I come back, is this. Have you heard those words from his voice speaking to your heart, follow me? And are you satisfied that if what you're seeking and what you need most desperately in your life can be fulfilled in him, then I suppose my question is, what is keeping you from following him? And wherever you're at on that, we want to try to help you the best way that we can to move into that relationship. Because at the end of the day, what we do is all about relationships from the inside out. And so let's go ahead and play the clip. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. 
Well, I'm just going to close this one out uh, by, by praying for everything that we've just experienced and perhaps what God is doing in your heart today and then seeking to find what it is that is our next step. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for giving us your son who in every way just completely blows out of the water any expectation that we might have of who he is and what he means to us and what difference it makes in in our lives. Lord, I know there are people here who have just taken hold of that and have never looked back. And I know there are others who really wonder how to begin. Does it begin with baptism and then uh, resetting and a, a new journey following you. And maybe there's people here, Lord, that you want to lead into that place and through that experience so they too can experience the adoption of being part of your family forever. Lord, there may be others of us who have not really tuned into that that, that phrase, follow me, and maybe you just need to tweak our ears so that we're able to hear. Maybe the God of this age has started to come back into our lives and allow the message to be obscured. And I just ask, Lord, that you would speak through the haze of all of that that we're so embedded in and bombarded by. Father, I just pray for any hearts here that need to respond to you in a very personal way, whether it is the work circumstances that you have placed them in strategically or whether it is in their family life and relationally you need them to follow you there as well or perhaps it's just in this body and how we serve so I pray father that if if in that event you would just percolate within us those um uh, those promptings that would help us to see what you see and move into those things that you would have us do as we serve you as our King, as our Lord. So Father, just help us to give you permission to work in our hearts however you see fit in this moment and then move us into that place where we know that you have even better things in store for us. So I pray that for everybody here, Lord, as I end the message time, and I pray that what I've said would be honorable to you. In Jesus' name, amen.